is the Prophet to the Nation Autumn Miller's podcast. We are going to jump right into it because we have a lot of information to cover, and I do not want the uh, podcast to get cut off. Here lately, we've been getting cut off, and this is going to be about the sacred plant. And I'm going to let you guys just listen so you can figure out. You're like, what's a sacred plant? Question was asked today: um, Can Christians should people use uh, medical marijuana um, to heal to help heal with some of our conditions? Um, to treat, should I say? <clears throat> well, it's treating and healing, to be honest. Um, from according to some of this research you're going to hear tonight, from epilepsy, autism, anxiety, um, you name it. Uh, one lady in here, if we get to it, I'm going to have to do a part one, play it up to about 50 minutes and stop it and come back and do a part two. But one lady in here saying, you know, how it helped her with cancer. So we're going to get right into it. Um, you may hear some background noises tonight because everybody is up around me. So hopefully um, it won't be too loud. I'll try to keep the noise down. When you're a parent, um, you never lay in bed saying, oh, please give me a child with a disability. Please let that happen. To be able to breathe, to be able to sit down and not worry if you're going to have to jump up to go save your child from putting his head through the wall. Those are things that uh, money can't buy. Money can't buy that. Um, those years were hard, but now they're better. Just, I mean, I just guess one emphasis that I owe my life to this plan. I, I, I owe my life to it. I, I certainly owe my quality of life to it. If I don't owe my actual life to it, because this was my only option. I've never seen this. In the course of two years, the girl's out of the wheelchair. She's running, skipping, swinging, going tubing in the summer behind a boat. Uh, she's tying her own shoes, zipping up her zippers, coloring within the lines. I mean, like, you know, it's just incredible for someone like me that's interested in healing and in development. To see an explosion of life like that is a testament to what's possible with everybody else. Because the cannabis? I've been very, very well at reading. I started the year like at a kindergarten reading level, and now I'm in fourth grade with a seventh grade reading level. So yeah, it's made a cannabis has made a big, big, drastic change for me. I mean, I know a lot of people don't like the plant because they think it's pretty bad. If they make it into medicine, it can help if you do if you use it the right way. I had no life. Yeah. And there's so much I want to do, and my kids were little. Yeah. And I want to do so much with them. And they were used to, oh, mom's whacked out on pain pills. Mom's in bed. And you cannot have um, a war on opioids and not safe access to cannabis. Because what happens to people that are in chronic, life-limiting pain when you they have nothing to take for it anymore? What happens to them? And, and who makes that decision? Why should we have so many hoops to jump through to give you something that's going to help? Why should we struggle giving you a medication? I just don't understand that. If you need people to suffer for your business to make money, uh, there's something dark about that. There's something really wrong about that. And so I left healthcare because I understood that the sick care system had infiltrated and turned healthcare into something really ugly. And in the church, a lot of Christians speak that it inherently is an evil plant, which 
I don't believe. That's not what my Bible says about God's healing plans of the world. And so I had to do my own research. A lot of this knowledge is being lost out of sheer ignorance. And because the true knowledge is being kept from us by the powers that be who have a lot to lose by this information getting out. Hello and welcome to Season 2 the Sacred Plant Healing Secrets Examined. I am your host and advocate, John Malanka, and I am honored to guide you through seven episodes of groundbreaking information about this healing plant that has the power to end suffering for so many people. If you're new to the Sacred Plant community, it's great to have you here. And welcome back to our existing community members who, without your support, this Season 2 would not have been possible. Thank you to those who wrote to us with stories about how the Sacred Plant series brought relief and healing to you and your loved ones after watching season one. Nothing touches me more than to hear these stories because this is why we do this. The Sacred Plants Company's mission is to help billions of people become healthy, happy, and pain-free. We educate and empower people by exposing the truth about this ancient medicine that's been used by civilizations for over 5,000 years. But tragically, the gifts of this amazing plant have been covered up by greed and corruption, and there's been a hidden political agenda to discredit plant medicine. The sacred plant has been particularly demonized because it's one of the most powerful plant medicines, and it threatens the billion-dollar pharmaceutical industry. For those of you who are new to the community, the sacred plant is cannabis sativa, also known as medical cannabis. As you watch this breakthrough series, you'll discover that cannabis works miracles on many conditions, including cancer, chronic pain, autism, autoimmune diseases, and much more. Many of these diseases are normally treated with expensive pharmaceuticals that have devastating side effects. Now let's hear from some of our experts about why the cannabis plant is so healing, but also feared and misunderstood. How did the stigma and misconceptions about this plant come about? John Easterling, known as Amazon John for his work with indigenous plants, is married to singer, actress, and four-time Grammy Award winner Olivia Newton-John. Olivia has credited cannabis for helping her treat a recurrence of her breast cancer. We'll hear more about Olivia's experience with the sacred plant in episode four. So as a plant medicine guy, I, I was very eager to, you know, engage in uh, cannabis, specifically as a plant medicine, like all the other ones I've been dealing with for several decades, and really looking at that, and I began uh, growing some for my personal use and researching that. And that has really evolved. This is an extraordinarily important plant. And, and as a plant, I think it's important for people to really look at it as what it is. It's a plant. It grows out of the ground, just like, you know, another 100,000 species of, of plants growing naturally in our world. And yet the history of, of cannabis is, is really inter interesting. I mean, we've had a relationship with plants, humans, uh, have had a relationship with plants since, you know, the beginning of time. Since we came out of caves, we've had, we're dependent on plants. We're dependent on plants for food, for medicine, for shelter. So we've always had this relationship. We, we breathe in oxygen and, uh, and we breathe out carbon dioxide. The plants take in the carbon dioxide and give us back oxygen. So that's an extraordinary part of that, uh, relationship. Now, the relationship with cannabis goes back to uh, the first recorded use, you know, back to like 1500 B.C. in China and their pharmacopoeia, you know, they're, they're mentioning cannabis. So if you look at Central Asia, where, you know, cannabis looks like it actually originated, everywhere mankind has moved, he's taking cannabis with him. 
This is one of the plants that he's taken all over the world. So we've had a continuous relationship with cannabis for thousands of years until recently. It's been, you know, temporarily interrupted for about the past hundred years. But when you think about it, that seems so absurd to me. I mean, even, I mean, so primitive, even as a caveman, if I come out of my cave, I've got access to the whole plant kingdom. And now the idea that we've taken one plant and kind of restricted its use, uh, is, it just seems, seems a little bit absurd. So I'm so happy now that we're reestablishing and reengaging our relationship with this plant because it has so many uh, benefits that have been recognized for a long, long time. I think that cannabis is one of the most potent medicinal drugs out there, and it's sacred in the context of its ability to heal you physically and heal you psychologically. And so there's just, there's, there's definitions that, that people in the herbal and entheogen world would hold because of classifications that come. I think that cannabis has tremendous value and it's sacred in that context. I think that access to cannabis as the sacred plant is something that is a birthright of humans. It really, I mean, which is to say that natural medicine should be accessible, but cannabis is sort of the queen uh, of herbal medicines. It's traveled all around the world because cannabis has been cherished by humans and human societies from earlier than our history. The human cannabis relationship has been one of biological mutualism possibly co-evolution. Humans have helped cannabis thrive and reproduce and spread. Cannabis helps humans thrive and reproduce and have quality of life. And that to me is as natural a birthright as you, you know, as you get besides like we should have access to clean water. We should have access to clean cannabis for those who need it. Even in the early American colonies, uh, when they were first settled in Massachusetts and Connecticut and several of these colonies, it was actually required that you grow cannabis because they're so important. The American flag is made out of what? It's made out of, made out of, uh, hemp. Some people suggest that the Constitution is written on, uh, you know, hemp paper. So that relationship is, has been with us for a long, long time. In 1918, you had several drug companies, Park Davis, Eli Lilly, they had medicinal preparations made from cannabis. They were easily available in uh, drugstores for people. And then came 1937, where you had the Marijuana Tax Act, uh, which essentially uh, cut off our relationship uh, with cannabis. And then uh, later, that was removed in the 1970s. That was removed. And in lieu of that, it was placed on a Schedule One as a Schedule One uh, drug meaning that it has no known therapeutic benefit and a high potential for abuse, which is really interesting because, <laughs> you know, later on, the United States government got a patent for cannabis for its antioxidant activity for its therapeutic benefit. But it remains on Schedule One right now to this day, and hopefully that's going to change. What's never been scientifically supported is the key tenet of the Controlled Substance Act, that putting cannabis as a schedule one drug that it has no medical safe medical use uh, that's never been based in science ever 
Uh, how did we get to this point? One of the other things that was going on at that time is that we had uh, Linda Johnson, who had come up with uh, getting rid of a lot of the uh, laws that uh, allowed for discrimination against African-Americans. And so uh, the drug laws were able to be used in a discriminatory fashion against African-Americans and against Hispanics. So I think that's part of it. The other thing is we need to go back to the uh, Marijuana Tax Act of 1937, which almost certainly was done at the behest of the petrochemical industry in general and Lamont DuPont in particular. And clearly it had nothing to do with medicine because the American Medical Association complained in their testimony that they were not told about this law. They were not asked to uh, contribute to it. The American public in the 1930s knew what cannabis was. They knew what hemp was, but they didn't really know what marijuana was. Uh, and uh, marijuana was a foreign sounding word. And so they could uh, use that word to demonize cannabis and hemp, which almost everybody knew uh, about uh, and was not afraid of. Uh, and so this was a way of uh, confusing the American public. I mean, this was nothing but a political ploy that had to do with greed. When it, when it did go um, in front of Congress, um, the, o- the only person there to advocate for it was the Legislative Council from the American Medical Association. And he was like, and what is marijuana? That, nobody, these doctors don't even know this is up for discussion because nobody's ever heard this word before. The plant is cannabis. It's, what is marijuana? So, so I, I tell, I share that with people that has been used in traditional Chinese medicine and Ayurveda and ancient Islamic medicine that we've used it in, in Europe and here in the United States and that there were um, a lot of issues that didn't have a thing to do with medicine or physiology that, that made it illegal and has kept it illegal. One of the issues that I feel very strongly about dealing with is the social control and the racist issues that go along with early prohibition. Um, it's really, it's, it's a little bit disconcerting to find out that this history, but then you realize people haven't really been dealing with the plant itself. People haven't been dealing with the use of the plant. The people do have an enormous amount of misinformation and part of this shows how successful the propaganda campaign has been. If you stop and think about things, in the early part of the 20th century, there were 30 over-the-counter preparations. You know, things you could go buy into the drugstore and buy like aspirin with no prescription uh, that contained cannabis. And in the 1920s, American doctors wrote about 3 million prescriptions a year that contained cannabis. And I think the reason is, is that our drug laws have an incredibly strong basis in greed and discrimination and demonization. I think the biggest misconception about cannabis and all plants that have potential psychostimulant or psychoactive effects on the body is that they're somehow drugs. And that for some reason, because they do do that, they're bad and should be stayed away from. So many of the plants, including coffee, has an effect on our brain wow. and, ha- and could be considered a drug. But for some reason, there are certain ones that are accepted and there are certain ones that aren't. It's just part of this malaise that we're in as a culture. And I believe 
it's something that has uh, much deeper roots than just, you know, an innocent um, stigma around something. Usually that stigma started by someone. Usually that kind of a conception that's taught in textbooks, that's reinforced by the news, is serving a much larger plan. You know, one thing that, that breaks my heart is that in the church especially, and I'm talking to Christians here because I've been a devoted Christian for 15 years, I see a lot of fear that has led to judgment, that has led to uneducated, and I use the word ignorant because it's uneducated judgment against a lot of natural therapies. And it took me about five to ten years up until just letting God just work on my heart, not being so judgmental, and letting the research speak to me in the fact like, okay, did God really create this thing? And why is it really bad for me? And then I started thinking about this because I started to think about other plants. I started to think about what other natural therapies are out there, you know, and being in the essential oil world, cannabis kept on coming back because of cannabis oil. And I was faced with it over and over and over again. So I had my proverbial coming to Jesus moment about cannabis. I had to make a judgment call against it. And was it bad because I abused it? Was it bad because I used it the wrong way? Or was it bad because it inherently is evil? And in the church, a lot of Christians speak that it inherently is an evil plant, which I don't believe. That's not what my Bible says about God's healing plants of the world. And so I had to do my own research. The Bible happens to have a verse which is really interesting. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? I'm not worried about plants. I'm worried about how people manipulate things and how they destroy things and, 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 and manufacture them and how they use them. I think cannabis has been demonized for a number of reasons. One, there's uh, a very strong case for cannabis and hemp as a textile and a fuel. And some of the things that happened with oil politics back in the day that have really challenged the use of it and just kind of favored one party over another. But also, I mean, cannabis has a lot of value medicinally and psychologically, in my opinion. I don't think any of this should be just dragged out and judged on the street. I think people can make decisions on their own and the government shouldn't be involved at that level in people's lives. Right now, I'd like to introduce you to my dear friends, Mike and Callie Hyde. Mike and Callie's son, Cashew, was diagnosed with a rare and aggressive brain tumor when he was 18 months old. He started getting sick around 20 months. He was really, he was just sleeping a lot, lethargic. Um, we kept taking him into the doctor, and they kept saying um, he had mono, you know, and so just let him sleep, let him rest. So that's what we did. We did that for about you know, six, seven weeks, brought him in every couple weeks, and she said the same thing, and... We just, I, I just didn't like, I didn't like her answers. And that's when we said, well, then do a CAT scan. And they were, re, they were reluctant. They were like, well, he has mono. We're like, no, like do a CAT scan. And so they, they took cash back and did a CAT scan and came back apologizing to us. They were, you could tell they were very upset and they were like, she was like, I'm so sorry. She said it like four times. I'm so sorry. I'm like, what? Like, get to the point. And she was like, Cash has a four centimeter brain tumor in his brain, and we need to get him out of here right now and get get him to another hospital that they can actually like even facilitate this. And that moment is when our lives changed forever.
looking back on it now, it seems like a dream, a nightmare. But, but did that really even happen? You know, and and that's when that's when life changed. That's when they told us that he had a peanut brain tumor as part of the blue cell cancer group. Highly rare and malignant. We started the low dose chemo. Cashy went blind because the tumor was just causing so much pressure on his optic nerve that he couldn't even see. And because it grew after they removed the 10 percent, it grew back the 10 percent plus yeah. another like centimeter. And uh, that's when we started. We started the chemotherapy with him two weeks after the surgery. And about a month into it, we're getting close to his birthday. And uh, he, he was able to start seeing again because initially the chemo worked very well. It, the, the cancer responded to it. It gave us all a lot of hope that we might be on the right path. As they started giving him his nausea and pain drugs, um, fentanyl. Fentanyl is so scary on a little kid because wow. it stops your respiratory system wow. if you have too much. And I... I felt like Doogie Howser because I was sitting there just watching all these doctors, watching all these nurses, writing everything down, what doses he's getting. And we were charting everything. And we, we had this whole book of literally his whole first year of cancer. And there was several times where they'd give him fentanyl and it would, it would, he would, he would die. And they, he would code blue. They have to come in and resuscitate him. And that's when we decided to get him his, his medical cannabis card. Uh, when we first got there, I asked doctors because I was already looking into medical cannabis for other cancer patients. Or I'm saying, well, hey, have you guys heard of this? And the the answers you would get back were, you're talking about something federally illegal. We're federally funded. We can't have this conversation. Like this is what we know. And I was like, well, what about all this research? And they're like, we don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, and it was very troubling. I said, God, is there anything you guys can do for cash he's really sick he's he's not sleeping he's vomiting eight to ten times a day he's miserable he's hallucinating on ketamine the the nausea and pain cocktail they had him on was ativan zofran fenagrin dilaudid morphine uh methadone ketamine uh these crazy, just crazy concoctions of drugs, and they were just getting it to him every two hours. He was getting something. They call it the nausea and pain cocktail. At, at first, we were kind of just went with it because he was so in so much pain. He was throwing up. We just, you know, we're like the Zofran helped here and there, but they just kept adding things, and it was just really overwhelming, hard to keep track of what, you know, but. And it just didn't seem to help at all, really. He still was throwing up. He's still in pain. He didn't sleep. We need to get some medical cannabis and try this as a nausea and pain drug because all the research I had done left me with this confidence that we could replace these nausea and pain drugs, give him a better quality of life, and stop his heart and respiratory system from failing. Uh, everything I read, even the, the patent that the government has on it as a neuroprotectant and antioxidant, was that if he had some medical cannabis in him, that it may protect his brain and his body uh, from any type of ischemic insult. And since he'd already had seizures and he already had respiratory failure, this is it is getting real. And the doctors told us, that they said, Mike, Callie, Cash has a stage four tumor 
It's inoperable. It's wrapped around his optic nerve. You're doing high dose chemo and bone marrow transplant. This is the roller coaster. This is, this is the reality of where cash is right now. And in fact, we're not even fighting cancer anymore. Right now, we're on a timeline of organ failure. And chances are cash is going to die in the next two weeks for not from cancer, but from organ failure and drug overdose. And that's when I told him, I said, I said, well, then I want to start weaning them off of these drugs. And they looked at me like I was crazy. And they said, Mike, we can't wean him off of these drugs. He'll go through withdrawal. This, that's not part of our protocol. This is our protocol. And I said, well, you just told me that he was going to die in the next two weeks from organ failure and drug overdose from these drugs. Mm. And if you read the side effects of these drugs you're giving them, their most common side effect is nausea, which we're giving them to for nausea. I go, and then it just goes down from there to organ failure, cardiovascular failure, respiratory failure. I go, so how do you guys know that you're not making cash sicker with all this cocktails that you're giving him? And if you're telling me that he's going to die from organ failure, then as his parent, I want to wean him off of these drugs. The first day we did it, we were so scared. We, we go into the hospital room. Cash is laying there in bed. The doctors start weaning him off of his drugs. And we start sneaking cannabis oil into his G-tube. Mm. And the, that first day that we gave it to him, he slept like, what, eight hours? Wow. Like literally a solid eight hours after... Never months. sleeping more than like probably 20 minutes at a time. Yeah, months of, of no sleep. Eight hours of sleep. He woke up and he asked for a grilled cheese sandwich, wow. which he hadn't eaten. Four weeks. He yeah. hadn't had a, bo- a bowel movement in four wow. weeks. Um, and he's like... He, he scarfed it down. And we were like... He wanted to eat. <laughs> it was, it, we were just blown away by it. We, were, we went from being scared to like, oh my God, we just helped cash out. This this actually worked. And and seeing him wanting to eat. And he, we got a la- couple laughs out of him and some it was, smiles. It was amazing. And... It, was like, it was the most amazing night ever. And from that point forward, we kept weaning him off of all these drugs each day. At that point, we were just blown away by by what it did for him. And we were like, man, we need to tell all the parents on this unit. Because we were friends, we were family with numerous families that were going the same thing. Yeah. And then that fear factor kicked in. And it's like, well, we can't tell anyone because if they find out that we're down here breaking state and federal law, giving him a scheduled substance, not only are they going to lock us up, they're going to put cash back on nausea and pain drugs, and we're not going to be able to take care of him. And we still had Colton, too, to worry about. And so... That fear factor was the first time, looking back, that I made decisions that affected other people out of fear, yeah, and I, I really wish I could go back and just to, just tell it then what was going on. Um, we got Cash good enough to do his final round of, of chemotherapy, basically. He was 40 cancer-free. Days, he 40 was days cancer-free. later, he, he, they pulled him out of there, and they, they said that he was the, the boy of steel and a Christmas miracle. And they, they took that life support out of him and his lungs had healed and his brain wasn't damaged. And the first thing he wanted to do, what did he want? He wanted that, uh, that baby from Toy Story. He wanted the baby. He wanted a baby from Toy Story. So we, we went and got Cash a little baby 
and brought it to him into the ICU and he just laid there on the bed with this baby and he was so happy. <laughs> and uh that was that was our first that was our first year of fighting cancer. You just heard the first part of Cash Hyde's story. In episode four, we will focus on cancer, and Mike and Callie will share with you the rest of their journey with Cash. Unfortunately, Cash's battle with cancer was not over yet. As your host, I want to take a minute to check in and ask you if you're enjoying this first episode so far. I hope you're learning a lot of vital information and are excited to watch our next six episodes. Do you know someone who would benefit from this series? Are there people in your life that come to mind who are suffering right now, who need encouragement and a breakthrough in their quality of life? Please share this series with everyone you care about on Facebook and social media by clicking the links below. Your support will make a huge impact on how many people we touch and ultimately how many lives are saved and improved. Thanks in advance for clicking the links below to share this information with those you care about most. But not enough people are aware of the healing powers of this plant. Too many of us have bought into the stigma and misinformation campaigns started by our government in the 1930s. That's why we at the Sacred Plant have dedicated this up-to-date, life-changing series, which we share for free. This is a continuation of season one, which has been seen by nearly a half a million people in over 190 countries. As many of you requested, we've also designed this season to give more detailed guidance on how to find and use this medicine properly. In season one, we talked about the politically motivated campaign behind discrediting cannabis as a medicine and placing it in the Schedule One category as a controlled substance. As John Easterling pointed out, the United States government put cannabis in Schedule One, but also filed a patent on the plant's medicinal properties. How can that be? Let's revisit a scene from season one that shocked many people. Cancer patient Patricia Crone went to Washington, D.C. to uncover a copy of that patent. Here I am in Washington by the National Institutes of Health, NIH. More than 80 Nobel Prizes have gone to scientists doing research funded by this institute. And one of those scientists who worked right here and who got a Nobel Prize was Julius Axelrod, who specialized in neurotransmitters in how cells talk to each other. And late in life, he participated in a study of... Uh, Cannabis uh, that the government deemed to be so significant, so important that it took out a patent on the findings. It says in its abstract that cannabinoids are found to have particular application as neuroprotectants in limiting neurological damage following ischemic insults such as stroke and trauma or in the treatment of neurodegenerative diseases such as Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease and HIV dementia. And it has more about uh, how it's, it's good for people who have uh, undergone cancer chemotherapy or radiation and other sources of oxidative stress. We have here, it seems, an official recognition by the U.S. government that cannabis has medical uses. And at the same time, here's cannabis, you know, medically taken off of the U.S. pharmacopoeia in 1942, kind of taken out of our history books as something that's illegal and bad. And just the act of allowing people to have this alternative decreases the use of these medications that are killing people. Yeah. So, yes, the first opportunity that came up to do it, I jumped on. And uh, 
Am I going to advocate for this? Yes. Am I going to go to the state house and talk? Yes. Am I going to find patients and find doctors and speak to them as well? Yes. I'm, I'm here for the whole game because in the end, we all survive. If the drug company can come into my clinic and bring drug A, B, and C and, and launch, you know, million dollar campaigns to sell me on the latest drug. I mean, if, if they can advertise all of this stuff, then why do we have such abnormal and just unequal representations of another medication? The fact that we have to treat it as a sacred plant and the fact that we have to do all the, all jump through all these hoops is wrong. People should have access. They definitely should have access. All this science, all this knowledge, if it's, you know, to be harnessed to its full potential will help people. It may actually prevent a lot of poor outcomes, a lot of complications, a lot of falls, a lot of real major disasters. The medical system is advertising for itself. You turn on the TV, it's all pharmaceuticals showing, you know, happy people walking around after taking their drug. I mean, this is an information war, right? The battle for the minds of humanity. And so uh, the, the way you live life is everything. So your operating system, if you're eating well, if you're healthy, if you're taking natural herbs and supplements and things to stay healthy, is a lifestyle choice. Yes. But the other model, which is eat what you want and my pill will fix it, is being jammed down everyone's throats yes, and in every TV across the land has to convince you that this way of living is normal and so people have fallen for it. And because people have fallen for it, there's a trillion dollar industry that's thriving. And I've been a very staunch advocate for the plant and um, for the freedom of the plant for everybody to be able to use it as they see fit. Um, you know, it's the safety margin is ridiculous compared to other drugs that we get from, you know, pharmaceutically. Um, you know, I myself am a pain patient. Um, I've been a pain patient since a car accident in 1999. And um, it's been it's been awful. You know, I've, I've been on narcotics for years, for 18 years and benzodiazepines. And it turns out that, you know, we find out now, I think uh, since I've gotten off of them yeah. using cannabis and uh, cannabis derivatives, yeah. that that um, they're not supposed to mix the opioids yeah. and the benzodiazepines because, oh, my God, they can be deadly. Uh, you know, it's this type of thing. It's it's kind of really disturbed me what's happened to the healthcare system in America, because it used to be a culture of we want to make people well. Yeah. Now it's more like we want to keep people just sick enough. Yep. So that they have to revolve in and out of the hospital and, you know, they get their they get their money for whether it's cancer treatment or whether it's treatment for another disease yeah. process. The pharmaceutical industry is a business. And so, you know, healthy living leads to healthy people and they make their money off of disease. There's a business model built on working off people who are sick. And if you're chronically sick, it means you're a customer for life. It's a very paternalistic system where the doctor tells you what to do and you go, you fill your prescription and maybe you feel better, usually not. And so if you don't take your health into your own hands, you are dead. That's how dangerous it is to be told what to do and fall into this trap of this medical pharmaceutical complex. It's a trillion dollar industry. No one wants to kill the golden goose, even if it's leading to suffering and death. You're telling me a weed, a plant that I could grow in my backyard 
which if used properly, harvested properly, that has medicinal benefits, known to fight cancer, help seizures, help children with autism, ADHD, and chronic pain conditions, just to name a few, to take that away from me, how does that not burn the blood in your body? How does that just make that blood and body just boil over with just anger and frustration that we have a system that's saying you can't do what you need to do to take care of your health? I mean, I don't know. There's no other way of looking at it. There's absolutely no other way of looking at it beside it was a decision made by the powers that be that has been necessitated by greed and by control. I think um, access to the sacred plant of cannabis is is to not have access to this to this plant is tantamount to a crime. And I think that it is a crime that there were 23 other drugs tried on my child before cannabis was even mentioned, before someone said, you know, maybe you should try marijuana. They tried 23 deadly, addictive, horrible drugs on my daughter, some of which nearly killed her, literally put her in cardiac arrest. And then there's this other option that that maybe you should consider called marijuana. Um, For them to have tried all of those other things before anyone mentioned cannabis um, is a crime. And and I think that that we need to fix this. You know, this this plant was bastardized in the 1930s by the United States government. And we need to fix that stigma and bump that stigma. Um, It's wrong. And it's a crime that this plant is held from the people. That was Susan Meehan in episode three, when we cover autism and epilepsy, you will hear Susan's amazing story about her daughter, Cindy May. Understanding the political history of cannabis is so important in overcoming the stigma. It gives us context as to how the sacred plan became demonized and why the government has been so short-sighted about it. But thankfully, modern science is starting to break through political agendas. You may remember from season one that scientists discovered that human beings have an endocannabinoid system. That means our bodies are hardwired to interact with this plant. As our experts explain, the endocannabinoid system is what allows this plant to be effective for treating such a staggering array of diseases. We each have an endocannabinoid uh, system, uh, which was discovered just uh, uh, a couple of, you know, I say 15 years ago. And so this endocannabinoid system, we've got receptor sites uh, practically in every cell of our body for cannabinoids. And cannabis is the richest source of cannabinoids. It's got over 144 known cannabinoids. I mean, the ones that are most known are like THC, CBD, uh, but there's also CBG, CBN. I mean, 144 different uh, cannabinoids in the cannabis plant. And also you have a full profile of terpenes, in the cannabis plant. Now, what's important about endocannabinoid system? The endocannabinoid system actually interfaces with our, our neurology, our uh, metabolic processes, pretty much every function that we have in our body, the endocannabinoid system influences. So when we reestablish some of those connections to that endocannabinoid system, we actually feed the endocannabinoid system uh, with a cannabis product we're, we're actually changing so many things in our physiology and the way we express ourselves. And I believe we have the ability to express ourselves in a much higher potential uh, by using 
uh, cannabis. One of the most fascinating slides that I saw was they put up the Chinese acupuncture body with all the acupuncture points, and they took the endocannabinoid system and they lit it up, and you have the CB1 and the CB2 receptors, and they're in different parts of your body. And what they did was they overlaid it on the acupressure points, and they just about matched. So the first use of pain was about 4,000 years ago by the Chinese. Uh, of cannabis. There's an endocannabinoid system in the brain and an endocannabinoid system in the gut. And this is just basically recognizing something that is a part of what I believe is the creation narrative, which is that it was designed for the body, that it was designed to heal, that it was designed so there would be a natural synergy between those things and that, that they're there for us to heal. And there's a scripture in the Bible that says the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. And I can think of no other substance on the planet that exemplifies that than essential oils. And cannabis has essential oils in it. And cannabis has other properties in it that are very healing that I believe God has given humanity. So when we talk about whether or not cannabis is sacred, of course, cannabis is sacred because it was given by God to bring us healing, to help us. Because again, the leaves of the trees are the healing of the nation. When people hear about cannabis being able to do so many different great things, right? It can help with neurologic conditions and psychiatric conditions and gastrointestinal. It can help with cancer. It can help with everything. It sounds too good to be true. And it should sound that way to anyone who has a critical mind because most often we don't find medicines that do all of these different things. And so the reason that cannabis can is because its primary mechanism of action is interacting with our endocannabinoid system. So this is a physiologic system that we all have in our bodies that's always working from the time before we were born to our very last breath. Our endocannabinoid system is functioning to restore and maintain balance at a cellular level. And this is why when something's wrong in the gut, endocannabinoids are released in order to restore balance. When something's wrong in the brain, same process happens. And if you look at all the various tissues of the body, they all have their endocannabinoid system that's hard at work, always keeping things in balance. So this is why you take this plant that is very, especially THC, acts very similarly to our endocannabinoids, and we introduce it, it can augment that system make it function and perform even better in its major role to restore balance. So that's why we can have so many different things respond to cannabis. But that's not the only mechanism of action of this plant. For example, there's a lot of antimicrobial properties, right? The, the plant produces these cannabinoids and terpenoid compounds to protect the female flowering reproductive structures from pests, from mold, from bacteria, from ultraviolet light. So we have these antifungal properties, antibacterial properties, antioxidant properties, and uh, also a lot of anti-inflammatory properties that are distinct from our endocannabinoid system. Dr. Dustin Sulak mentioned that cannabis can restore balance in our bodies. In episode six, We'll show you how the sacred plant works preventively to improve overall wellness. And in episode five, we'll explain how the medical cannabis program works in Dr. Sulak's home state of Maine. Now let's hear more about the therapeutic compounds in the sacred plant called cannabinoids and terpenes. In order to properly use cannabis as a medicine, to understand which compounds work best for your body and your particular illness. It's also important to understand on how they all work together in what is known as the entourage effect. This entourage effect describes the way that cannabinoids and terpenes work together more effectively 
than any one molecule on its own. I mean, the world is abuzz with this uh, new research now that, you know, the doors have opened again. And the more it's researched, the more uh, jaw-dropping, you know, benefits we're, we're seeing with cannabis. And first of all, it was mostly studied for the THC, the tetrahydrocannabinol, because that's the psychoactive component. And people would think that's why people were doing it. The terpenes, which are essentially uh, essential oils, you know, they give it the smell factor. So these terpene profile are, are really important. And so as cannabis went around the world, you have different strains that have evolved that have different profiles of cannabinoids and different profiles of terpenes. And so for human ingestion, they all connect into the endocannabinoid system and then express themselves. And so there's different strains, for example, that would be better for anxiety or stress or a social uh, uh, mood disorder, depression. And then you get into therapeutic value of eliminating pain or being valuable for cancer. You know, a lot of these terpenes are what actually help the cannabinoids to express. So the terpenes, I think, will be one of the next major areas of discussion and, and study. Now, a lot of it's really about the uh, cannabinoids. This isn't just a single molecule, and that's why it's so different than a lot of what we're used to in medicine. We have one molecule, one mechanism of action. That's what's kind of required to get through the FDA drug approval process. Here we have the exact opposite, something that would be considered a dirty drug, meaning it hits so many different targets in the body. It's doing lots of things all at once, and it's got many, many applications in various realms of medicine. Mostly, the dirty drug is not appreciated in medicine because it tends to be dangerous. We use it for one thing, and it creates all these side effects with its other mechanisms of action. But that's not the case with cannabis. What we're almost always seeing are side benefits. We try to do one thing with cannabis, like help with someone's pain, and suddenly we're helping with their mood, and we're helping with their sleep, and we're helping with their digestion. You know, And, and that's the beauty of this medicine. So lots of mechanisms of action. I suspect that we actually just know the tip of the iceberg about how cannabis is working in the body. I think there's a lot more to discover. And there's parts of the plants that aren't being used very commonly. For example, the roots, the acidic cannabinoids, which are starting to become um, used a little bit more, but there's a lot of potential there. Uh, so, so this plant still has more to offer us. We're not set up in this country at this time to deal regulatorily with plants, with plant-based medicine, with herbal-based medicine. And this is a, a, is a problem. The doctors were being trained uh, in the beginning of the 20th century uh, that the manufactured pharmaceuticals were easy to understand because they only had one molecule, whereas, you know, coffee has 880 molecules, a tomato 380, and cannabis has 550. Drug companies look at that and they say, wow, this really works. This is amazing. We need to make a drug out of this. So the same thing's happening today, I think, in, uh, in cannabis. People are saying, oh, look what CBD does. So I'm going to make a CBD isolate. So I've got 99% pure CBD. So I don't have any THC. I don't have any of the other cannabinoids or terpenes. I have something that should be really effective. And the problem is you don't get the same effect. You know, in the industry, people are really understanding this. 
Uh, in Israel, they understand this very, very clearly in the research they're doing, that it's that entourage effect where you have even minimal amounts of THC or CBG or CBN uh, and the terpene profiles. So many plants have been uh, made into drugs, and oftentimes you end up with the side effects and things like that, where historically uh, you didn't you didn't have those side effects. You had the benefit. Our body understood the chemistry of that, was able to break it down, utilize it, eliminate the difference. And so I'm, uh, you know, when we start going to isolates, uh, I don't get I don't get very excited about that. Well, I've been doing this since 2001, and uh, I have hundreds of patients that come back and see me each year. And I don't think that they would come back and see me and, and pay my uh, fee uh, every year if it wasn't working for them. I think the other thing that's very convincing is a number of people who tell me that they uh, have decreased their reliance on uh, prescription medication uh, and or have actually stopped taking some of their prescription medications. Most people who have pain have a 30 to 50% decrease in their opiate dose. And some patients are able to stop using opiates altogether. And of course, the other thing that we know about cannabis is that it is extremely useful in terms of uh, intervening in the opioid epidemic that we're having. As Dr. David Bierman just mentioned, the opioid epidemic is destroying families all over this country. In episode two, we'll look at the ways that cannabis can help reduce the epidemic as it is already doing in some states. We have. And we're going to stop right there because of the time. I don't want them to cut me off. They've been cutting me off around 50 minutes. So I hope you enjoyed this um, um, live and we're going to come back um, for a part two and I'll uh, share the rest with you. Um, thank you for tuning in to Profit to the Nation um, Automobiles Podcast. If it's your first time here, we welcome you and come on back. Um, I share a lot of information. I hope you got to um, go back and look at some of the previous shows um, that we did this week. I'm going to try to get back on um, more and more this week. But, you know, I just come on as what God puts on my heart to share and give you guys the information um, on these type of things. And I got down, if you haven't, if you're new to me and um, you haven't been following me, I'm into essential oils. I'm into all this because I have a special needs child. I have medical issues myself and um, pharmaceutical drugs don't work good for me. I'm, a, I'm allergic to everything. <laughs> so... I have a little, I ain't going to lie, I got a little fear when it comes to taking any new medication or anything. I look for the alternative. So, and I had to educate people and take them back to the very beginning. So that's why I'm sharing this with you guys today. And I hope you guys really enjoyed it. And thank you for hanging in with me the whole time. I appreciate you staying. Thank you for the hearts. Please follow and like and share. Um, I know people get intimidated when they see profit to the nation. Um, that's just my calling, but God uses me in a very unique way. I'm probably like the sore thumb uh, among many ministers. I'm, I'm used kind of differently, and I don't want that to intimidate you and scare you off. But stay on in here, and I'll give you the information that God gives me to give you. There's a reason why you stopped by here today. And if it's for yourself and it may be for somebody else, you can say, yeah, I was listening to um, to the podcast, you know, Autumn's podcast, and um, she was saying, you know, such and such. I get people from all around the world that always hit me up for the essential oils or the sea moss or the, the just the education or what can I do and that's another gift that God placed inside me and 
I soak it up like a sponge and say, hey, you don't have to take all these drugs. Maybe there's another way that you can go. You pray about it, do the research yourself. And like the stigma, I used to be one of those Christians who say, oh my God, you know, marijuana, oh my God, you know, like he said at the beginning, had a bad stigma, had a judgment on it. But then the Holy Spirit had opened my eyes. God had to deal with me about it. And then I'm like, oh, okay. I got a revelation, like it makes sense. And um, I have CBD. I take that. I have um, thyroid condition and the thyroid, um, the CBD helps with the uh, heart condition that comes along with thyroid. I mean, I, I, I really, really appreciate the information, the knowledge and the revelation that God has given me to share with others um, that there is an alternative route where we don't have to get hooked on all these heavy drugs. And, you know, you got a kid. I have a kid. It's a, on, on the spectrum, mild autism, deaf. ADHD, and they were giving me all this medication to give to her. And I was like, and this is really what opened the door for me to start going down the holistic road. Um, but they were giving me all this medication to give to her. And with her being deaf, and how can she explain what she's feeling? Her heart's racing when she was younger, her heart racing, all these different things. And she had some real bad side effects to it. I was like, you know what? We, there has to be another way. And I began to start praying and asking God, and he just led me down this road. I had this sacred plant information for quite some time, and um, I am a part of their community, and I'll uh, send it, I'll put it in the comment later on how you can start getting some of their emails, and um, they got other people that are, um, that are part of the group that have a lot of information, and they go all around the world, and they got all this collective research that help people with cancer, you heard it, cancer, ADHD, anxiety. I mean, the, the story of that kid with the cancer and the, and the parents had to sneak the, um, you know, the marijuana through the tube, you know, the oil, the like the essential oil, uh, through there to heal his body. That's just amazing to see that child come back to life. And they were killing him with drugs that was supposed to help him. That was just like, wow, I couldn't believe that. And then the American flag made out of him him <laughs> i mean it's just awesome so we just thank god i just thank god for you guys being here i'm so excited this gets me so amped up but i'm so excited for you guys being here thank you for tuning in please share come back and see me i'll probably be on tomorrow i'm gonna try to finish it up tomorrow so you guys can get the rest of the information and hopefully they don't cut me off all right <laughs> so if you enjoyed it please show some heart please share please follow Hang tight. We got to do what we do before we close out always. I love you guys. Here's a quick prayer. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Miller. I'm Prophetess Autumn Miller's husband. And I just wanted to take a short minute here and ask if there's anybody out there that does not know Jesus Christ and who he is and would like to get to know him and have a personal relationship. I would just ask you, if you would, wherever you're at right now, just repeat this prayer after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I realize that I am a sinner and have broken your laws. I understand that my sin has separated me from you. I am sorry and I ask you to forgive me. I accept the fact that your son, Jesus Christ, died for me and was resurrected and is alive today. And here's my prayers. I now know my heart's open door and I invite Jesus in to become my Lord and Savior. I give him control and I ask that he would rule and reign in my heart so that his perfect will would be accomplished in my life. In Jesus name I pray. Amen. Congratulations. If you prayed this prayer in all sincerity, you are now a child of God. That's right. You roll with God in the kingdom. 
However, there's still a few more steps that you need to do to follow up your commitment. That would be get baptized in full immersion in water as commanded by Christ. Tell someone else about your new faith in Christ. Spend time with God each and every day. Prayer and in the reading of the Bible, his word. Amen. You all have a blessed day. Okay, love you guys. Thank you for tuning in. I appreciate you staying for the whole time. Love you, and I'll be praying for you. See you next time.